After a healthy break, the Chiefs is kicking off 2022's proceedings at the headquarters of one of Europe's largest industrial manufacturing companies. In this episode, we head to the Bavarian HQ of Siemens AG to sit down with its chairman, Jim Hagemann-Snappe, to get a sense of where a company so integrated into the critical infrastructure of our daily lives is heading next. From healthcare to energy, urban infrastructure and beyond, Siemens are often the indivisible helping hand that gets us from A to B, but that doesn't mean they're a brand that goes unrecognized. So how does a company of such scale retain brand loyalty and ensure it drives digital transformation in an authentic and tangible way? Plus, as companies tussle to promote their sustainable credentials, how does the Danish business leader ensure his messaging stays fresh? I'm Tyler Berlay, and you're listening to The Chiefs on Monocle 24. I wanted to start on a bit of a personal note because it's something that's been nagging me oftentimes when I speak to management consultants and you speak to other captains of industry, you always hear people talk about whenever they look at businesses, they need to focus and they need to rationalize and they need to spin off divisions, etc. Siemens, I think back to my childhood, it's, it's been a company which has touched every part of my, my life. And of course, you've sold off parts of the business, you're less B2C than you were but you still have quite a disparate set of businesses. Is there still room for this type of conglomerate today when everyone wants to be so focused and so linear? Well, I actually believe in focus, but not focus to uh, become smaller. Actually, I believe that what you focus on should expand. And because of your focus, you can expand. And and so in that sense, I, I tend to agree that if you do too many things, you don't have any focus and you become average. And, and that's fine when the world is average, but the world is not average. The world is transforming like crazy and you know, very high pace. So it's almost like speed beats size these days. And therefore you need to be focused enough to have high speed and find growth opportunities in your focus area, hence expand. And Siemens is now three Siemenses. There's a Siemens Engineers, which is healthcare. There's a Siemens Energy, which is the transition of energy systems. And then there's Siemens, uh, which is actually the, you could say, the industrial and the urban infrastructures of the future. So in that sense, we have three Siemenses with each its focus and the ability to drive the transformation rather than be a victim of it. Do you see yourself, and just maybe rewinding to when I think back to when I had a telephone that was Siemens, uh, and I think I still have a fridge that is Siemens. So there was this, this real B to C contact. Do you still see yourself though as, as a consumer business? No, I think we, uh, we realized that our DNA is industrial. It is the more complex and more critical infrastructures uh, than a phone or a coffee machine. And, and we focused over the last years on, on that. Obviously healthcare is a, you know, patient-oriented industry, but we are in B2C when it comes to that. And the same is true for Siemens Energy and Siemens. So it's industrial, it's high complex, and we're trying to do what they did in the consumer world, digitize that to make it more convenient, and of course, a sustainability version of that so we can drive a, a better future. Now, are you saying that just because it's fashionable? Because I would say when I get on my ICE, I still see that as a consumer product, though, because you're taking me from A to B, and I cross the threshold, and I, I see the Siemens plate. I have to step. Is, is, that, is that even important to the consumer? Because oftentimes I can, now you're not in the, in the elevator business, but I often think about you know, going, going up and down in a building, 
do I feel better if I see this brand name? Do I feel better if I see Siemens? So is that important in this consumer equation, especially when we talk about the mobility part of your business? I absolutely believe it is. So in that sense, you could say that any B2B business has a consumer somewhere. And I think the brand associated with any business is relevant also in a, con a context of a consumer. I think Intel was one of the first companies who realized this. And, you know, we, we buy PCs and, and we don't necessarily think about what is the processor. And, and yet we all know the do-do-do-do, which is, you know, Intel inside. And, and so they were able to brand themselves for a consumer relevance and through that create loyalty from their B2B uh, customer situation. And I think we're trying to do the same. I'd love people who go on a train like that to feel you know, it's safe, it's you know, modern, and it's uh, the most efficient and sustainable uh, type of mobility that you can have because it comes from Siemens. When you look at the various sectors, do you think that, and let's, let's just go back to the end consumer, the people who are walking by our, our window right now, do you think there's a comprehension just how integral Siemens is to daily life, that how much you are touching, even though people don't see the brand when they get on the train or when they're going in very slowly for their MRI scan, are they sort of connecting everything else that's around us? And, and is that important? I don't think many people think about how you know, influential we are in the infrastructures like that that most cars are built with you know, uh, you know, technology from Siemens in factories that are both you know, digital and physical, that a lot of the infrastructure in the city here is uh, Siemens infrastructure. And so that, you could say, is a, a bit of a problem. But I think the Siemens brand is known for you know, reliability, it's, it's uh, innovative, it's uh, responsible, it's, it's, it's a brand you can trust. And so we have an opportunity in my mind to make sure that people understand that, that we actually provide those critical infrastructures and we're transforming them into a more sustainable, more relevant future. Now, you just touched on a couple of values which are clearly part of Deutschland Incorporated and we'll, we'll come back to those in a moment. But maybe just give us a little bit of a day in the life as we scan the urban environment. Now, of course, we know the mobility component is a huge part, whether you are a commuter, of course, traveling regionally from A to B, your daily commute, also crisscrossing nations and, and, and borders as well with your high speed offer. But if we look at the urban environment, what, what else would maybe a consumer not sort of register suddenly that actually Siemens enabled this today? Well, it's obvious that, you know, we're in a zero carbon building here. Our headquarters in Munich is a good example of how we use our technology to create infrastructures, which we live in, uh, that are sustainable. You talked about the mobility, so transporting people around, even you know, transportation uh, systems, uh, not just the train itself, the software that allows you to utilize that capacity much better. And then I would say you know, every person is in touch with Siemens-related activities multiple times during a day. Of course, it's increasing as we now electrify the world. Uh, so the charging stations, the, you know, the infrastructure that is becoming or creating uh, urban areas that are more sustainable. That's all Siemens. And, and it makes me proud because, you know, when we try and attract talent, and it's a, it's a hot market these days, you know, I, I asked my son, for instance, do you want to, you know, be in a digital world? He's very digital in some company that makes toys, you know, or steal people's data to make advertising. Or do you want to 
be part of building the infrastructures that matter the most to humanity, including healthcare. Well, you know, at the beginning, he was mostly on the first part, but he begins to understand. He's right now actually writing a thesis about uh, Siemens mobility and, and how we're trying to change our business model from selling a train to selling transportation of millions of people, which is about taking responsibility for the utilization of the assets and hence having a, a more sustainable infrastructure. Let's talk maybe a little bit about your son or maybe his peer group and this time we're in. Let's talk a little bit about also being in, in Germany at the moment. We're sitting in a part of the world which still has a very strong vocational system at a time when we see other countries, we don't have to travel very far across Europe, that everyone has to get a BA, everyone has to have their MBA. But in Switzerland, Austria, certainly Germany, there is this push to learn on, on the job to learn you know, a set of skills. Do we need to see a bit of a global correction, do you think, somehow to say, look, there's nothing wrong with not having a series of letters after your name, but it is about the expertise and it's about the skill set and hopefully the passion you have for that job. I actually believe you're spot on. I think we've seen a phase of digitization where it was the pure digital companies that kind of won a lot of the value. Now, they were often consumer-oriented. They were creating social media platforms or even, you know, toys and, and so on, gaming, etc., which, you know, have, you know, inspired many people. But, you know, largely it's, it's entertainment and, and it's actually distracting us and taking time away uh, from maybe important other tasks. I think this next wave is tech companies that master hardware and software. It's the combination of the two. Uh, Tesla is a great example of that. It's, it's not a it's not just a car. It's also a, a piece of software that can be upgraded over the air. It's a it's a autonomous vehicle that can take you know traffic situations into account. And that means that we move into a world where mastering the physical becomes a key parameter in becoming uh, competitive. That was not the case in those pure software or you know digital companies. And therefore, I do believe that we need this combination of people who understand the physical and the ability to add software to that so that you get a higher value product, which is more relevant, more convenient and more sustainable. That's possible. And I think you'll see that wave coming now. And, that, and that's why Siemens is positioning itself as a tech company, but the kind of tech company that masters both, which is much harder and much more valuable. It sounds like you're saying you're, you're positioning yourself as a pragmatic company as well, because as much as you say you believe in the physical, it's incredible how many CEOs I talk to today and how many board members you meet from quite responsible companies who feel that they're migrating into a metaverse and worrying about you know, whether people are going to be riding around in the metaverse on a, a Siemens high-speed train. I'm not quite sure what the value is to shareholders uh, in buying a ticket. And I would say entertaining yourself when maybe you should be out in the world, but that's a whole other interview. But going back to pragmatism and, and maybe a little bit probably German values as well, which is let's be part of a company which is, as you said, has to be using technology to enable things. But there is something which you're saying is also to be able to use your hands and also to create and build as well. I think we're at that inflection point in history where, you know, technology is now about enhancing our lives and, and our lives in the physical world our ability to be you know, relevant together, our ability to experience things. Even, I even believe AI is not about replacing human intelligence. It's about enhancing human capacity to make better decisions and 
do that in the real world. For me, the virtual world is useless. It's it's the real world, and and so we, if we don't have companies who, you know, get real stuff done, you know, we'll all just be irrelevant. Uh, and that is, I think, the argument for the new type of tech companies that I'm talking about. They are relevant in the real world. Well, it's also it's it's also an argument for for leadership, which is what I want to come to. Are we missing? a chairman, a CEO, a head of state right now who is content, even compelled to step out of the three main, four main topics that the world talks about. I mean, we could argue that we're in a time right now that maybe too many people took their eye off the ball and we've ended up in the political or geopolitical situation that we're in. But, you know, you speak an interesting truth right now. Uh, and when I think about leadership, are leaders just too scared to step out of the lane right now, which is why a lot of people become deaf to many problems because we hear the same chairman and the same CEO trotting out the same four themes. And I don't want to blame the comms team, but as, as a journalist, and I think then having listeners and readers, people are a little bit fatigued and they say, who's going to capture my attention right now? So it's a roundabout question, but when we look at leadership today, are we maybe missing originals. I think so. Actually, it's funny you ask that question. It's almost like I'm this technologist and I'm you know, super optimistic about the technologies we have. And then I look at the progress we have and it's not big enough, you know, it's not fast enough. And we could do so many more things. And it's like, okay, we have all this technology. Why are we not creating the impact that we could? And I think the missing link is about leadership. It is about daring to do things that are different in the way we've done it before. Elon Musk is a good example of someone who actually, you know, dares to do things that are different. And people look at him and say, well, electric vehicles will never work. You know, it's just a toy. And then look where it is now. It's more valuable than any other automotive company combined. And that way he's been, you know, opening new categories by challenging our assumptions. For me, leadership is about creating followership. And you don't get that from the corporate bullshits. You don't get that from the headlines. You get that, I, I believe, you need, you need a big dream, which is about inspiring people about a future that is relevant for them, that is better. And then I think you actually need to get into the details. Elon Musk gets into the details. Steve Jobs got into the details on the experience of, of, of his products. And I wrote a book called Dreams and Details, which is exactly about that. It's not about managing in the middle. Everyone can do that. It's about creating followership because you inspire people about a better future and you get your hands into the details that matter the most to show that you're serious about getting there. We saw a lot of frustration. Let's rewind two years plus at this point, start of a pandemic where a lot of people were scratching their heads when they looked at their elected leadership. And then I would probably say maybe six months into it, even three months, people were also saying, where's the corporate leadership as well? But what we've seen certainly, you know, and again, we're in a very hot geopolitical time. We have seen corporate leaders step up a little bit more, um, be vocal, being also probably careful knowing where their markets are as well. Do you see corporate leadership stepping up? And maybe were you surprised when you look back at the start of the pandemic that we didn't see maybe as many voices of reason or voices of direction that we perhaps should have had? I think we have seen business leaders step up, not just in trying to deal with you know unexpected events like a, a pandemic uh, or now a, a war situation in Europe where business leaders tend to even take a, a stronger stand and go beyond sanctions because they care about their people and they care about their 
their image as a company and, and the long-termness of that. So, so I'm actually quite impressed with how companies have been able to deal with these situations and, and show leadership. Uh, I think we had a phase of what I would call populistic leadership where you know, the easy argument gets you many votes. And I am a believer that the easy never exists. It's always hard if you want to do something real. It's always hard. You remember Kennedy when he said we're going to bring him hand to the moon and back again. He, he chose that not because it was easy, even he said that. It was, it's because it's hard. It's when you set those hard, ambitious, I call them dreams, that people get, I think, the impact that we're looking for. That's what I mean with, with leadership that we look at. It's not the easy populistic one. It's the responsible, difficult one. And you can only do that if you engage like really with your own soul. You can't just, you know, do some blah, blah. You have to be there yourself and show the way. Okay, I want to talk about maybe the tale of two countries, a Dane. At the top, well, really at, at the tiller or at the wheel, we're sitting now in Munich, heart of Bavaria, and certainly at the center of, of so many very powerful Mittelstand companies globally known. How important is Germany Incorporated, Deutschland Incorporated, when you think of, of Siemens? Because also, again, we're in a time when yeah, certain countries, or even we shouldn't even talk in terms of nations because, you know, that has a bad past or it, it looks exceptional. But companies are rooted in places. So is Germany connected to this company? Of course, knowing it's global, still important. I absolutely believe so. I think we are, Siemens is a very global company and, and you know, having a Dane as a chairman already, you know, shows that. But, you know, we are in, in most countries in the world, we operate locally, locally. We've been in China for more than 100 years. So, and even our founders, you know, were, you know, global uh, and they started, you know, communication technology between India and the UK. Uh, so, you know, talk about having a global start. At the same time, I think there's something about Germany. There's something toughness about Germany. You know, you don't choose the simple versions of in life. You don't lead the, the popular way. You, you do the tough things that are necessary. I think there's an engineering culture of uh, perfection. And I think there is a global mentality uh, still. So, so in that sense, I, I think it's a combination of trying to really play, I call it global like you're global in the way you, you run your business, and then you have you know, a local essence and the German DNA everywhere you, you get to in the world. Of course, Germany's had an extraordinary leadership position from an industrial point of view, from a technology point of view, politically as well, maybe some question marks around it. What's your take when we look at Europe right now? Let's put the conflict to, to one side. If we look forward in terms of technological know-how, in terms of innovation, going back to the topic we were talking about, which is to celebrate vocational skills. You know, is that something, you know, or somewhere where Europe can take a leadership position when we think about a next generation of employment and, and beyond? Yeah, I think what Germany did really well, they did not just outsource all the manufacturing jobs to, to uh, you know, low-cost low locations. Uh, there's a very tight cooperation between the employee side and you could say the business side in, in Germany. In my boardroom, we have you know, 10 employee representatives and we have 20 people in the boardroom working on making Siemens better. So I think that is a, an asset. Now, what is happening, I think, which could play to the advantage of Europe is that you know, speed beats size and Europe is many small countries and therefore they are faster. I come from Denmark, very fast country. I think we have a situation where 
sustainability becomes an element of your business. It's not how you spend your money, but how you make your money in creating sustainable solutions for the future. And, and I think Europe has proven a leadership capacity there in wind turbines and many other technologies. And finally, I, I think we're in a stage where we begin to use technology in a more responsible way. And again, I think Europe could play a role in trying to put the human in the center of technology use, which fits very well to the DNA of Europe. So in that sense, I'm, I'm optimistic, but it requires close collaboration, not just in Europe, but with the rest of the world. And we do need to make sure that global trade accelerates and doesn't get reduced by the tendencies that we've seen geopolitically. Do you think Europe can also put the human as part of the sustainability story as well when we think about manufacturing? Because you know, oftentimes we can look at low-cost locations, even locations that aren't low-cost, where people's living conditions aren't so great. And we've seen a lot of manufacturing coming back to Europe, and you think, okay, people are getting pensions, they're living within the rule of law within, let's say we're talking about the EU. There's something to be said about that as well, is there not? Because oftentimes we only want to talk about sustainability in terms of energy, but oftentimes human capital is still left to the side. No, I, I do believe that you know we should think about sustainability in that broader context. It's, at the end of the day, it's also about consumer choices and the transparency that consumers need in order to make the right choices. Uh, but I think it's also, in, for me, sustainability is not just about CO2 emissions. It's also about reskilling. And we come back to the apprenticeship model. You know, in the past, next generation would do the next skills because it took 50 years before the new technologies came out. Now it takes five years or 10 years. And so we need a constant reskilling of the workforce to stay relevant. And, and I think Siemens is a good example of trying to, to do that, which means we can attract people, not because they have the right skills you know, just when they start, but we actually keep renewing their skills and thereby they continuously get more value on their CV by staying with Siemens now. Then we can keep them for long. Let's talk about, and we, we could have touched on it earlier, but we've had a little discussion around leadership, but when we think about retention and attraction, what's, what's important now? Is it that you know, here you have really this HQ quarter of, of Munich, great buildings, buildings which also, uh, of course, tick the boxes from sustainability, great location, of course, in the heart of Europe. What are going to be those key factors? Because it is interesting, again, if we look back over the last two years, everyone said, we heard all. We heard many proclamations about what was not going to come back and what was, etc. We heard Dr. Anthony Fauci saying, "Well, you know, we're, we're going to be wearing masks on planes for the next five years." Well, you only have to go fly between Denmark and and Sweden, many other places. We know that that's gone now. What about the workplace, though? When you look at what is going to draw people in, for me, it's purpose. It is what the company is doing and why it's relevant, not just today but in the future. So I come back to this important infrastructures that we deliver on and the importance of making people understand that they touch what we do every single day because that makes them want to join us and, they, and, and not just make toys but real stuff and we can make it more digital, more sustainable, we can more, make it more relevant and, and more easy. For me, that's where it starts. If you don't have that figured out yet or you're on the wrong side of that where you're actually polluting the world, you will get a hard time attracting talents. For me, the second point is then the development of skill. If you get into a company like Siemens and you see an investment in you as a person and you feel that your value in the market increases every day you're here, 
then why would you leave? It's only when we stop investing in people that people start looking for working somewhere else. And then I do think that the working environment, the colleagues, and the loyalty that you create, which is why I'm not a big fan of just having people stay home. I don't think you can create the loyalty and the collegial value that, that actually happens when you're in rooms and you're creative together. You will need some flexibility, but I also think we need people back and have real conversations. Which not the metaverse. <laughs> no, not the metaverse, <laughs> the real world. And, and I think that's, it's almost like we need to make sure technology is used to sort out the other things so that we can be real in the real world and have time for that. Just uh, before we end, a lot of people talk about digital transformation. Most of the time it's presented maybe in a seat like yours as the best thing ever. What are the negatives of digital transformation? We only hear about the positives. So I prefer actually to call it, you know, transformation. And if I should even you know, pick a better word, it's almost like progress. Uh, because you don't want to change to change. You want to create progress. And I'm like digital transformation as opposed to analog transformation. You know, what is that? So for me, this is about creating the infrastructures that matter to human beings and the planet for the future. And that, that makes it super relevant for, for people. And there is a downside of digital, which is when we use technology too much, when we use it to things that disenfranchise human beings, take power away from human beings, that maybe even steal their data or destroy our democracy. So, so it's almost like we're at an inflection point now where the technology is so powerful that we need responsible people, not just leaders, also programmers, who think about what do I want to use the technology for, not just what could I use the technology for. And I think that's the moment when companies that you can trust step up and the brand, which we talked about earlier, becomes important because you will then trust the companies that you trust from the brand and they will not try and steal your data. They will try and improve your life by using technology in a responsible way. I think that's fascinating what you say, because are you concerned that we're at a point, if we're in Germany, Denmark, you know, leading societies, but we're still seeing that when you talk about disenfranchised, that we have people who are over 60, over 65, I mean, who are being left behind, who have the money, who have the intelligence, who have everything, but things move at such a speed right now that they're just, they're, they become second-class citizens. So you talk about inflection points. Do you think that that's coming around now? I mean, even after the pandemic, people being able to use complicated apps, fill out ridiculous digital forms, you know, we know what people have been through. Has that maybe marked a correction point that we can't just be focusing on the youth, knowing particularly we're sitting in Europe and we could look at many Asian countries as well, where you have an aging society and actually probably talking to people over 70, it's not such a bad idea. I absolutely agree. I actually believe that it's about caring for those people in the way you design technology, because we actually have the technology to make things super simple. And, and COVID is a good example of that, you know. Before COVID, we could hardly get a you know, video conference to work. You know, we would spend half of the meeting just getting the connection to work and does the sound work and all of that. And now, you know, anyone, any age can, you know, click on Teams or Zoom and get connected. And, and we do it like it's simple. In Denmark, I led a, um, an effort around the digital strategy for the country. And one of the principles that we decided was that it's digital for all. And it's possible today. We have the technologies to make 
you know, even people who have no digital experience just use their fingerprint or their face recognition to do simple stuff that is then complicated behind the scene. And I think we need to do that. Otherwise, we create two classes of people and we should not do that with the power of digital going forward. And just going forward, opportunities and challenges. We'll start maybe with the, the challenges first. And again, where we are economically right now, certainly when we look at, at the geopolitical scene, hopefully you're not being kept up at night too much. But what concerns you when you look at the challenges right now? The biggest challenge right now is the geopolitical concern that you know, some countries believe that they can you know, make it alone. I grew up and when I graduated that same year in 1989, the Berlin Wall fell. And with that, it's almost like the world doubled in size. We could you know, globalize everywhere. And I think it has fueled growth and opportunity and technology and, and all of those things that we see the benefits of today. And by the way, lifted hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. And, and now we have you know, countries thinking about building walls again, and we have even fighting between countries. And, and you see some reactions of business leaders and, and policymakers with sanctions, and the sanctions are expensive. So what does that tell you? It tells you that globalization and trade between countries is the best way to keep the world at peace. It is also the best way to keep scarce resources and then the value of scarce resources. And we need a global collaboration if we want to solve global problems like the pandemic or climate. This cannot be solved locally. So that is my biggest concern that we've lost a little bit our ability and our trust and we must find it back because without trust you can't solve these problems and, and trust is the ultimate currency. I'm proud of being in a, in a very diverse organization where people trust each other, then we can make everything happen. And maybe if we uh, move to the optimistic side, uh, the opportunity, maybe you know, you're feeling before you walk down uh, across your little harbor in the morning and jump into the horizon. What are you looking forward to? What do you see out there uh, right now? You think this is something which is an opportunity to be harnessed, to be nurtured? Uh, what do you see? It is that you know, inflection point that I'm you know, excited about, which is like, we've had 200 years of industrialization. We polluted the world and but seen progress. And, and we have now, in my mind, the technologies to create a future where energy is in abundance and almost for free and available for everyone. And with that, uh, everyone in this planet can connect and actually collaborate. And, and we democratize you know, the technology so everyone has a voice. And, and so it's like we have the perfect tools to create the perfect future. And we're missing it right now because of geopolitics and because of irresponsible use of technology. Imagine what we can do when we try and do this with human beings at the center of our design and the planet as the boundary condition for that design. I am excited about that future, and I would love to be part of delivering on that. We just need to get there much, much faster. My thanks to Jim hageman Snaber for this week's episode of The Chiefs. This episode of The Chiefs was produced by Paige Reynolds and edited by Steph Chungu with the recording assistance of Desiree Bandley. I'm Tyler Brulé. Thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.